0: Thank mm-hmm. you. grace, peace, and mercy be to you, God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose coming draws nearer and nearer with each passing day. Amen. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Day of the Lord. The prophets do not depict the day of the Lord as a one-time event, but as a mural of images of what the coming kingdom of God looks like. Imagine going to an art museum and seeing the painting of the Mona Lisa, but you can only write down one thing about the Mona Lisa to tell your friends. How would you describe the Mona Lisa? Would one sentence be able to cover everything that happens in that painting? No. I mean, you could write down some dominant features. It's like the Mona Lisa is a painting of a woman who is smiling, but there's only one feature of the painting. You may go and pick out some small details, like the mountains that are behind her, or the lake that is in the background may describe what she's wearing, that is a painting about a woman who's wearing a black dress. There's a lot of things that you can pick out about the painting. It's the same with the prophets and the day of the Lord. Each prophet was given brief glimpses into that painting of the day of the Lord for us to see in our minds. The painting the prophets depict is one of both grace and judgment. The prophets depict the coming of God's kingdom. In the New Testament we learned that the kingdom of God was inaugurated by the coming of Christ in His first coming in grace. Throughout the prophets the day of the Lord is envisioned as God physically dwelling among His people to both judge the nations and to bring grace to all who believe. Malachi especially emphasizes that God would physically dwell among his people when he preaches, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the arrogant and all evildoers will, will be stubbled The day that is coming shall, be, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who hear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. In Christ's God physically came to dwell among his people. In John chapter 1, John speaks of Christ dwelling among us in John chapter 1, verse 14, but that verb dwelling in the Greek is really tabernacling. That is that Jesus is that tent of meeting in the Old Testament, the tent of meeting uh, which went all over uh, Israel all over to, with, with God's Old Testament people to be God's presence there uh, in the Old Testament system. That would later be centralized into Solomon's temple. Now in the New Testament, that presence is in Christ and in his human body. This is why St. Paul says about Christ in Colossians, for in him the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. For you have been filled in Him who is the head and rule and authority. So we see this visitation more fully in Christ's baptism and, and His transfiguration. The Father affirms that the Son is whom He has sent into the world. And has proclaimed to the Son, "This is My Son, with whom I am well pleased." The Son is God in the flesh. Of God visiting his people in his gracious visitation foretold by the prophets. And today we continue for God's kingdom to come when we pray in the Lord's prayer, Thy kingdom come. Because we anticipate Christ's glorious return and his second coming on the last day to deliver us from evil and to judge the wicked world once for all and to make all things right. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests." Zephaniah here foretells a very important part of the mural of the prophets, and that is Good Friday. Good Friday is the day of God's gracious visitation to his people. On the cross, God provided the total, once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. And the thing is, is that there is nothing we can contribute to this sacrifice, right? We can't even speak to add to the significance of this sacrifice. Be silent, the Lord commands. The Father sent His Son into the world to save the world from sin, to save you here from the power of sin, death, and the devil, so that you here will receive the total and complete forgiveness of all of your sins. The author of Hebrews explains the significance of Christ's sacrifice when he says, and by that we will have been sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So all we can do here is, is uh, believe and receive God's gracious gift of salvation and eternal life as foretold told here in Zephaniah in the Old Testament. On the cross, Jesus has made us heirs of all the promises of Abraham, to be sons and daughters of Abraham, and that he has consecrated us, as Zephaniah says, he has sanctified us, as the author of Hebrews says, to be his servants, to be his new priesthood, the priesthood of all believers, and God is here, here to us today, all we can do is receive this gift in silence and in awe. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials, the king's sons, and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I'll punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. You know, in this mural, the day of the Lord, we see both judgment and grace. And Zephaniah here depicts the other side of Good Friday, that is, the judgment. Jesus in John chapter three speaks of his coming as a total judgment of evil in the world, where he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does and is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now make no mistake, brothers and sisters of Christ, God punishes evil. David in Psalm 1 declares the wicked that they are like chaff, driven by the wind. And we look out of this dark and sinful world, and we hear of uh, the violence in our inner cities, uh, violence and shootings in our schools, terrorism, and rumors of war, and war itself. And in the news, we also hear how prevalent fraud is. With the financial, with with it seems that there's financial scandal after financial scandal happening. You know whether it be Enron in the 1990s, or it be Lehman Brothers in 2008, or just recently Sam Bankman-Fried and his uh, cryptocurrency exchange FTX. You know it seems that we're just so inundated with bad news, and it seems wherever we go, it just seems to get worse and worse. You know, we make believe that the times we live in are the worst times, but it has always been a sinful time ever since Eve ate the fruits and Adam and Eve fell into sin. The thing is is that we should live in fear. God promises that he puts a limit upon evil and that those who commit evil, do violence, and defraud others will be brought to justice. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I'll punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Yeah, this world, we're so inundated with bad news that we grow weary. You know, we may even grow to the point where we don't even want to respond to the evil of this world. We may end up having cynical hearts, right, and we may want to end up giving up. You know, it may be easier for us to live by that ancient motto, the Epicurean motto, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Now this ancient creed is in reality the creed of the 21st century, And, and this echoes the creed of the Jews at the time of Zephaniah in the 7th century BC. Basically, you know, we're looking out, seeing all this evil. We think God doesn't care, so if God doesn't care, why should we care? You know, if God doesn't matter, then who matters most? Me, right? That ends up who matters most. There truly isn't anything new under the sun when it comes to sin. You know, and the thing is that we Christians are not to live this way. Christians are not to respond to the evils of this world with antipathy and complacency. We see the world quite differently than the pagans do. You know, the pagans see the world as meaninglessness. We see the world uh, with all of God's truth. You know, the, the Lord is clear here today for us in Zephaniah. Antipathy and complacency will be judged as faithlessness. You know, looking at our gospel reading, and and complacency were the problem of the wicked servant in the parable of the talents. Jesus says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talents in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You do that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you have bought you and invested my money with the bankers. and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The wicked servant does not take his master seriously. Because if he did, if he had believed that his master was a, was a hard master, an unforgiving master, You know, he would have worked the hardest out of all of them. Right? He would have at least have invested the money with the bankers, even if it would have come back to him at a loss. And he didn't even do that to have to put it in the bank to accrue interest, which was forbidden by the law of Moses, but at least he would have done something with it. At least he would have gotten something out of it. The master, Christ, judges the wicked servant on account of his complacency. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here today, How are we complacent? How are we apathetic? How do we live as if God does not matter and I matter most? You know, when we have an opportunity to invite someone to church, we invite them. Or are we too scared to invite people to church lest others think um, ill of us and we lose our social standing? You know, while we think that we live in the worst of times, we live in a world brimming with material prosperity. And that, that material prosperity creates in us a spiritual amnesia. You know, we forget that the judgment is coming soon. It is near. And that material prosperity, it's a spiritual poison that puts us to sleep to the truth of Jesus Christ and his second coming. Prosperity causes us just to care about this world and the things of this world and not upon the eternal things. We need to wake up from our complacency. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord draws nearer and nearer and likewise, the need for the message to go out becomes more and more important. You know, in reality, when we have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus, and we don't tell them about Jesus, we really condemn them to the darkness of this world. Jesus calls a heart of a complacency and antipathy in the book of Revelation. He calls that a lukewarm heart. And he would rather have us either be hot, or he would rather have us be cold, but a lukewarm heart he spits out. And this points us to a truth, that the opposite of love isn't exactly hate. The opposite of love is complacency and antipathy. Now when we don't tell our neighbor about the good news of Jesus, we have an apathetic hatred toward our neighbor. It's the exact same problem of the parable, that the parable that the wicked servant had in the parable of the talents, he hated his gifts. He buried his talents. Right. So let's not despise God's gifts that He has given to us, uh, um, gifts that can be used to bring others to Christ and His wonderful message of forgiveness and salvation. I'm reminded here today that the day of the Lord is near and is drawing fast. And that day is drawing nearer and nearer, faster and faster. And brothers and sisters, this is good news, right? This is, this is the day where we'll receive that pronouncement that we've received here in service, the forgiveness of sins, but on the last day, we'll see that come from our Lord's own mouth when He will declare to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom that has been That has been prepared for you since before the foundation of the world. That will be proclaimed to you on this last day. So as Christians, we don't fear this last day. We don't fear Christ's second coming. We embrace the second coming of our Lord. It is then where Christ will vindicate his people from evil and suffering. And we rejoice at his second coming, because we have already received that judgment that God has forgiven us all of our sins and has bestowed upon us the gift of eternal life. It is hidden now in this now and not yet time, but Christ's gifts are here and present among us. Nevertheless, all we have to do is receive them and believe them, and that he is coming back. Believe that he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And we look forward to when Christ will come to make the new heavens and the new earth. And so we should not cling to the things of this world. The things of this world are not final. Jesus' gift of eternal life is the final thing and the only thing in our life that truly matters. James says in his epistle that friendship with the world is enmity with God. We should not want to live in this sinful world. God has something way more better in store for us. There's gonna be a time when all of this is going to come to an end. And when it does, it is gonna be swift, and it's gonna be sudden. And No one knows the day nor the hour when that is going to happen. So we must be ready we must be shaken out of our complacency. The message that we have is a message with eternal significance, and the consequences for our neighbor to remain in his sins is just too high. Now, Zephaniah goes into detail about those who do not receive God's gift of eternal life. Listen to what he says about that day for those who did not receive God's gracious coming. It'll be for them a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Brothers and sisters, you know, there's probably a few things that we don't like to talk about. We have to talk about them. And one thing we don't like to talk about is the reality of hell. But we must talk about hell because hell is real. Both Zephaniah and Jesus here speak of the reality of hell where there will only be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The reality of hell presses the urgency of the mission that we have the scripture is clear. Jesus wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Sadly, there will be those who have re- who will reject the Lord and his promises. And Zephaniah here warns of those and what will happen to those who reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, and their fate isn't because God wasn't powerful enough and their faith isn't the result of God's promises not being good enough, but simply because salvation can only come to us as a gift. We neither earn it nor deserve it, but it can be rejected. What a tragic faith awaits those who reject eternal communion with God. You know, we're all looking forward to Christmas, and as I said in the announcements, Christmas is coming closer and closer. It's already within our view, and we're all anticipating those gifts around the Christmas tree. Can you imagine you set up your Christmas tree, the gifts start uh, flowing, and there's a lot of gifts underneath your Christmas tree, is brimming with gifts. Now, if my wife were to give me a Christmas gift that gift that she gives to me isn't because I have earned anything or deserve anything that that I have done to receive that gift, but she has given that gift to me because she loves me. That's a gift that is given out of pure love. Right? And and so when I receive the gift, I need the benefits of that gift, but I didn't do anything to earn or deserve that gift. But if I were to reject that gift from her, I would reject the love that my wife has shown me and I don't receive the benefit of that gift. And I can never receive the benefit of a gift that I have rejected. That's the tragedy of those who reject Jesus' gift of eternal life. And when you reject God's love, you stand alone in the judgment. John is clear. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So do not be dismayed when there are those who reject Jesus' good gifts. You know, our sinful nature loves evil and sin. That's the problem that we have as, as fallen human creatures. But just because people reject Jesus' gifts doesn't mean that we give up in spreading that message of the forgiveness of sins because, brothers and sisters, the stakes are too high. Christ has entrusted to us the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel, the repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all people. We must act in faith and confidence that Jesus will make the mission here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School succeed he blesses us to do this. He blesses us when we proclaim to our neighbor his words of grace and mercy. Christ is calling on all of us here today to repent and believe. The time is now. The time is at hand. And with each day, the day draws nearer and nearer. As the author of Hebrews says, He says, do not neglect to gather together as the day draws near and near. You know, in a world full of violence and fraud, we need to hear the good news. And the only place where you're going to hear that message of forgiveness is here in church. Here is the only place where you're going to hear that Jesus, the God of the universe, has forgiven you all of your sins and has bestowed upon you Eternal life on account of the sacrifice that he has prepared, he had prepared on Good Friday through the Lord's death and resurrection. And since this message can only be heard here, it can't be heard out there, no one else is saying it, we're the only ones saying it, right? We have a task to do. So, do it. Do not be complacent with his gifts. He'll return and we'll have to give an account of how we have used our gifts. That much is certain. We know that our master is not a harsh and unforgiving master. That was what the wicked servant had imagined what the master was, but he was wrong. Because our master loves and cares for us. And while we're out there in mission proclaiming Christ to the world, God gives to us his immeasurable grace toward us. He is the one ultimately who blesses and grows the ministry here at St. Paul's. All we have to do, brothers and sisters, is just be faithful to what God has entrusted to us. And he is faithful toward us, even when we are unfaithful. He has made us a promise. He is coming again to make all things new. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep our hearts and minds the one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.